0: Welcome to the Modern Futures Podcast. Humanity is evolving at a pace never seen before. Join Futurist Nicholas Badman as he discusses how new ideas and developments impact us today, how they will make tomorrow more productive, and how they can make life a little more challenging.
1: I'm a futurist and I look for some of the most amazing people that are redefining our futures for the Modern Futures podcast. It's March 2016 and I reached out to my good friend Jonathan Tippett from EatArt to talk about his organisation and his amazing project, Prosthesis, a two-storey, kinetically-powered sports robot. I also wanted to ask, what are the implications of building such a thing and what can happen to the sports world and society as a whole? Here we are in the East Vancouver HQ of the Eat Art Foundation with one of the founders, Jonathan Tippett, an engineer and inventor. Uh, Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. I was just wondering, uh, you know, this is the Modern Futures podcast. I'm here to learn more about the projects that you're working on, especially with prosthesis. What I'd like you to do is just tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got to today and a little bit about the Eat Art Foundation. Sure, yeah. Uh,
0: Well, as you said, I'm an engineer, trained as a mechanical engineer, UBC, grad 99, Uh, and I've been working in the fields of hydraulics and uh, vascular implants and fuel cells uh, professionally, but also um, in parallel I've been developing mechanical artwork over the years. Inspired by my experiences at Burning Man over the last decade or so, I've ventured into the strange hybrid world of art and engineering and, and EatArt was the uh, simultaneously the product and the,
1: the engine behind that whole journey. Thinking about Art, and I, I've been a, a supporter of EatArt just by mostly coming along to the parties checking out space. We've been friends for about three years I think since we first uh, got in touch and I ran a conference called Cyborg Camp and Ended up donating some money uh, to the cause as well through that. I'd like you to, to talk to you a little bit about, you know, within ETAR obviously there's been a number of projects. What was the genesis of Eat Art and, and how did you get to, to where you are today? Uh, yeah, well,
0: as legend would have it, the founding members of the Eat Art Foundation, uh, which stands for Energy Awareness Through Art, were uh, the Mondo Spider, uh, a giant 750 kilogram rideable electric walking spider, and Daisy, the world's largest solar-powered tricycle. Uh, the Spider was built by a group of us as engineers and artists and burners, if you will, just to take to Burning Man, once upon a time. Right. And in the course of building the Spider, we, we met Rob Cunningham, who is a local video game developer, really successful, um, behind Homeworld, and now his latest venture through Blackbird Interactive, his new company. He's created a prequel to Homeworld called The Deserts of Karak, I believe and it's doing fantastically well, and Rob is a brilliant guy, I mean he designs spaceships, fantasy spaceships for a living, and so naturally he's the kind of guy that would own the world's largest solar powered tricycle, Daisy, uh, which was an art piece also made for Burning Man by a, a fellow in California named Bob Schnevis, who worked on brain implants and solar powered artwork. So uh, Daisy essentially met the Mondo Spider, and they went to Burning Man together, and their love child was the Eat Art Foundation, which really was uh, the product of discussions between Rob and his dad, John, and Lee Christie, who was one of the, the founders of the Spider project. And so those three conspired, they hatched the idea of this um, collective, which then evolved into the idea of an educational foundation that would support the creation of these kinds of projects. and. It was the collective efforts of the Mondo Spider crew that were the sort of boots on the ground. Um, me, Lee Christie, Charlie Brinson, Ryan Johnston uh, were the sort of the core group. We ran the lab, we built the lab, and we started thinking about what other kind of machines we could make. And all the while, we would take Daisy and the Spider to community events and so on. Um, at that point, the Mondo Spider was gasoline-powered, which was horrific. 2007 was when we started art. Finally, 2010, the spider became electric. By that point, um, Charlie Brinson had embarked on the creation of the Titanoboa, which is now the world's largest mechanical snake.
1: Which is amazing to look at at events, and uh, whenever you see it, like writhing around, it, like Chinese New Year parades. I think I saw it, and and some of the the maker fairs locally as well,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. We try to make a point of bringing these things out to community events, car free yep. day, maker fair, pray to the lost souls, all these things. You know, it gives us an opportunity to show the art off, which is which is rewarding for us, and also spurs conversation about how it works. Is it, you know, what's it run on? And there's an opportunity to educate people about the technology and, and kind of show them that you can do large-scale crazy stuff with electric power. And yeah. we have a mobile solar array. So it's been this very organic grassroots development. We, we incubated for years on the Great Northern Way campus back when it was the wild, wild west. Yep. Uh, before Emily Carr came to town, um, which is an exciting development, but it caused the displacement of all the smaller operations that were uh, taking uh, taking space there using the, that crazy sort of anomalous yeah. industrial space. And that, I
1: think that's the first time I came across the Eat Art Foundation. It was a New Year's Eve and, uh, and, and your old next door neighbor, Jen, was um, <laughs> my friend and, uh, and it was like, come to this party. And it was quite frankly the best party that I've been to. And like I think I sat in Daisy for a while and she was outside and and it was just like the people there, the energy, the people that were surrounding the, the whole project was it was it was infectious, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's what's been one of the most amazing things about developing the Art Foundation is the community that's gathered around it. Right. Uh I mean most not for profits or community organizations, uh unless they find substantial funding in the first two to five years, they just fizzle out. But we've been going almost 10 years now wow. on, on 100% volunteer spirit. And we're evolving our model. We're going to start seeking some grants and, and start hiring people to run the foundation and so on. But it really has been an incredible nexus of, of brilliant, creative, uh,
1: competent people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so this brings us to a really interesting point now, which is around... We, we can create some, something that's incredibly impactful and inspirational from an engineering and art perspective to, to bring into the community that's more than just creating vehicles to take people from A to B. It's creatively engaging community through that journey, right? And I think that's what's really interesting. And, and that leads us nicely into starting to talk about the project that you're working on right now. And this is the project that you've been working on for the past three years, and this is prosthesis. I, I'd love for you to just tell us a bit more about What is prosthesis? What are you trying to do with this? And also where it came from and where are we going with that going forward? Yeah, prosthesis is an
0: interesting thread that kind of runs through the whole story. Really, it runs back to my childhood. I mean, uh, prosthesis in its current incarnation is uh, a two-story tall, three and a half thousand kilogram, four-legged racing robot piloted by an exoskeletal interface from within by a human pilot. 100% human controlled, 100% electric powered. So kinetic. The should... Highly kinetic. Highly yeah. kinetic. I mean, it, it, we're talking about something the size of a, a small house that can run and jump. So, uh, really, nothing even close to anything <laughs> like it in the world. It, my concepts for prosthesis started evolving or at least germinating even before the Mondo Spider. In fact, I was doing early drawings of prosthesis as a sort of a gorilla type. Robot before the Mondo spider, and I got sidetracked in quotes uh, by the spider, which of course m- took us all around the world and led to the creation of the EDART Foundation, which yeah. is now making the creation of prosthesis possible. So it's a real yeah. lesson in following your dreams and, and taking opportunities when you find them. So, prosthesis, uh, since its original sort of green gorilla format, has evolved into uh, a real high-performance race machine, and uh, the journey of of its form taking place has been a fascinating one because I owe as much to my artistic inclinations as I do my engineering ones for its current form. Part of the way I arrived at what it really is being uh, created as now is through uh, discussions with my brother's wife, who uh, Kate Armstrong. Yes, Kate. Yeah, I know. Really, Kate. yeah, brilliant, successful artist, um, high up in the ranks of Emily Carr. And I was applying for a Canada Council grant to get some funding for it in 2009, and she was kind of my my mentor in the crafting of that grant, and she helped me reverse engineer the sort of uh, cultural and emotional uh, underpinnings of that project. I just wanted, I just thought I wanted to build a rad machine. Yeah. You know, I was a when I was a kid, it was all about off-road racers, monster trucks. I raced RC cars dirt around the dirt track, stuff like that, Lego spaceships. I'm like, yeah, just being a kid, right? I'm just building a giant toy. But uh, she sort of helped me unpack the motivations behind that and, and realize that it's really rooted in a recognition of the importance of human skill and agency and human, the, sort of the mastery of, of physical skill through effort and practice, which was something that also was refined in my experiences as a mountain biker, a mm-hmm. snowboarder. I studied capoeira, which is like a really acrobatic martial art for like three years. I, st- I, did, I was in a, like a hand drumming band playing the congas and djembes. And so I've always been really conscious of the quality of experiences that come through physical involvement and, uh, and consequence, contexts where there's consequence, like barreling down a mountain on your bike. In contrast to virtual reality, in contrast to the also amazing and thrilling simulated experiences that are coming up in this world, but I realized I really wanted to make a counterpoint to all of those and and remind us that living in our bodies is still super important and valuable, and fulfilling, and that in as technology runs roughshod over our experiences and sort of nips them off one at a time, like. You know, robots can beat us at chess. Now robots are getting better at running and now robots are getting better at jumping. And like, you know, there's a sort of slightly comical dystopian view where people just build robots to go out snowboarding for them. And it's like you've missed the
1: point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, there was, um, I think, uh, Lee Seedol, who is like the ninth Dan world champion at Go, which is like infinitely more complex than chess, has just been beaten by Google's uh, AI division. Mm. and you know and and people are talking about this and and people are scared and we, we think that we're careering down this rabbit hole and completely out of control but what you're saying is you're building a physical counterpoint to that as like the physicality of of what what you're trying to make prosthesis being is is something that you have to be a part of with the physical nature using your own human facets right absolutely
0: and and throughout the progress of the project opportunities constantly arise to remind people of that like i mean first of all it's just a three and a half thousand kilogram metaphor for humans controlling their own technology like straight up that's what you have to do to survive in that machine and that's what i think we have to do as a species so uh there's that but uh, there's also the more sort of acute experiential interaction when people approach me I tell them what I'm building and oftentimes the reaction is oh cool I want to ride it I want to try it (laughs) and it's like well of course you do because it's freaking unbelievable but no way you know you wouldn't say that to a fighter jet pilot right because people are so accustomed except for things that are sort of grandfathered in as unattainable like flying a fighter jet or whatever people are so accustomed to having experiences handed to them on a silver platter or a digital platter for that matter that they forget that They can't just, even if you're a billionaire, you can't just ride prosthesis. You still need to do, you know, ground training school and then you got to practice on the prototype alpha leg and then you got to take a ride as a passenger. And then maybe if you, you know, haven't totally lost your shorts by then, you might get a chance to operate the real thing. And then only then you still might not be good enough to make
1: the thing run. You know, like it's like qualifying to be an astronaut yeah but you're very much on on earth but you're you're in this incredible like two-story high structure that's like metal and all of these different elements coming together Um, hydraulics and electronics and and no gasoline parts no no engine you're the engine right yeah well it
0: does have a 200 horsepower electric power plant okay you're the brain.
1: Uh, okay, we're the brain. Okay, yeah. let, let, let's bring you're the that back. System. Okay, okay, it's, it's not too extreme. So, so I mean, it, it's quite interesting. And um, in today's world, I mean, is it, prosthesis for everyone? It's clearly not for everyone, right? But but like, who's the ideal pilot for prosthesis? Obviously, you are. I mean, you're the brainchild. You're training it. You, you can you can ride the alpha leg. You're going to be the person that's probably going to ride this thing first. Oh yeah. Or steer this thing, or pi- pilot the thing. Yeah. First but you know you know it's like being an astronaut, like I said, what qualifies you to be one of the pilots because there's probably only going to be a handful of pilots in the world, right certainly th- for this
0: machine in this scale yeah. in this incarnation uh, there will be a very select group of people who have earned an opportunity to even try it and, right. and of course those are the ranks of our team of volunteers who've been working on it for years, our top sponsors and so on like there will be people who have earned the right to give it a shot yeah. and and of course, that will also have to do it through earning it in, uh, through the training. But as is the case with so many technological innovations, there's an evolutionary process where it becomes more and more accessible. The first person who jumped out of a plane with a parachute, people probably thought they were crazier than they think I am. Yeah. Now you can go do that for 150 bucks. Exactly. you got to invest a bit of time. you got to you know, pass a few tests and so on. Obviously, you know there's, there are limitations in accessibility, and that's just you know, a fact of life. But again, those barriers come down and down. Prosthesis is a sports machine. It's built for athletes. You have right. to be a full, fit, able-bodied person to operate it. And, and that's probably going to be the case for future iterations for some time to come. But there is a convergence that you can imagine where it, uh, from one end of the spectrum is coming like rehabilitative exobionic technology. And from this end of the spectrum is coming sort of augmentative exobionic technology. And there's really, there's a full continuous spectrum in between. It just hasn't been realized yet. So right. I'm, I'm up at one end of that spectrum yeah. now.
1: So, so people, we were talking earlier about prosthetic limbs and, and some of the advancements that are happening there all the way through to what you're talking is very large scale, very specialist machinery. It's, it's almost like someone buying a secondhand car. That's very small and has got a very low number of horsepower up to the Formula One race driver. And then to the guy that jumps into, you know, a supersonic jet as well.
0: Right. Yeah. These are all a continuum of a certain technology
1: family yeah so we're with prosthesis and you've got the alpha leg and that's been built for a number of years and you've been showing that and taking that around the world we you ran an indiegogo campaign that raised some money a couple of years ago but now today and very exciting um to hear that you've got full funding yeah so so now today um we're in march in 2016 (laughs) you've got 10 months or so. I like to think of it as 10 months, but it's yeah. probably closer to nine now. Yeah, t- January t- is, the, is the unveiling date, yeah. January 2017. Yeah. In the next nine to 10 months, you have to, you have to build this. You've got the materials, you've got the people, you're now on this full time. Yeah. And, and you're in the ETAR facility every day. You've got the space, every yeah, Every day. got like the lab. 10, 12 hours a day, like building this amazing machine. What does that next 10 months look like? paradise (laughs) (laughs) the term pig and
0: shit comes to mind i mean like this is my truly my happy place like i i literally as soon as my alarm goes off my eyes flip open and i've got 10 parts of the machine being designed in my head and i sprint off to work after a, a fleeting lovely breakfast with my girlfriend and um I just sink myself into the lab behind the computer, behind the welder. Every aspect of this project is, is like utterly fulfilling and, and yeah. exciting for me. I have, I have a hard time spending 12 hours a day working on it because I would rather spend 14 hours a day working on it. I just absolutely love it. I mean, I've been doing it for 10 years. I've dreamed of, I've been honing all of my skills towards this kind of thing. For my whole life from from lego uh, to tig welding to engineering using solidworks like it's so uh it's going to be just basically all you can eat pure joy and totally mind crushing stress and anxiety now it has to be real for the last six years it's always been on a Uh, resource availability basis well when when we get a sponsor that gives us bearings then we'll have that ticked off and when i get an next group of students then we'll do that project and then i've always had another job that i've had to keep on top of to pay the bills but now i have no excuses to not succeed except my
1: own uh discipline yeah so 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 this is interesting this is the childhood dream right but none of none of this is in the realm of what children can achieve (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, so,
1: it's that exuberance and that energy that clearly that it's you know, it's energy and art. And, yeah. And energy that, that's trying to transform from, from the genius idea and the hopes into something that's very real and tactile and you can hold. And seeing the metal in, in its pipe form down in the lab and seeing all of the other machines around, like Mondo Spider, Titanoboa, even the Alpha Leg it's going to become real very, very quickly. Right. And that's, that's something around, um, having that vision and and driving through. So, I mean, what, what interests me about the project is, you know, this is a, this is a labor of love, but this is becoming very real and this could actually turn into something that could be a commercially viable activity and, and, and product as well. What do you think? Um, so fast forward, January, February next year, we reveal um, prosthesis to the world. Everyone goes crazy. What What do the next two to three years of following that look like? Is it Is it a world tour or or is it you know more prosthesis?
0: It, we're gonna have to play it by ear. Yeah, uh, it's gonna we're gonna gauge reaction. There's definitely gonna be a world tour of some sort. I mean, we're the first model against uh, which to compare this is the Mondo Spider, which we built out of our own pockets and then we toured the world with it and yeah. eventually paid for itself, but it didn't, it didn't lead to a sustainable practice. It didn't lead to subsequent iterations or any kind of saleable product or, or actual technological innovation. Prosthesis has a little more promise. I mean, prosthesis is essentially an exobionic technology R and D project mm. in the form of a sports machine. So there's many, many branches. You could go uh, super expensive, performance race machine like Ferrari Lamborghini kind of uh, you new know, sort of toy or, or like competitive sports league in the yeah. same way that you have uh, F1 or America's Cup where the, you have these sort of technology-based competitive sports leagues that serve as technology incubators and then that technology spills down to more consumer industrial or commercial applications. So you know, this could evolve into the aliens loader or it could evolve into like a search and rescue mech, like a SAR mech. I mean, right. how awesome would that be?
1: Yeah, it's something with practical value. Yeah. Or, or, or you know, it could, could be in one of the parking garages of like Jay-Z. <laughs> exactly,
0: right? and, yeah. And
1: it's like suddenly in all these videos is suddenly like the, the, this status symbol. I mean, we, we hope that, you know, it finds utility. And yeah. we hope that there's, there's usefulness. Yeah. And science fiction has led the way with some of these ideas. It's like the loader from aliens and, and a number of these other things you see uh, from District 9 and all, bipedal robots and all this cool stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but that's one thing. I mean, but this is real, real stuff. And you talked about exobionics, and part of this is thinking about exobionic sports. So, in the next three, five, 10 years' time, do we suddenly find ourselves in a world where there are these machines and people are building more of them around the world and maybe plans are being shared and, and then you, you all meet in one place and it's one big gladiatorial sort of uh, face off. I mean, is, is that what you're thinking about with, oh, that's, <laughs> with some element of this as That's well?
0: already happening for sure. Uh, there are many elements to what you've just described already taking place. There is the Megabots phenomenon, which is a group based in the Bay Area. We we're actually friends with those guys. One of the guys behind the Megabots project went to MIT with Lee Christie, who built oh. a Spider. And Guy Gavalcanti, he came and visited the lab not, not too many weeks ago just to come and see prosthesis. He and his partner and his team are building two story tall, sort of rock'em sock'em paintball fighting robots. They're taking the more sort of combat themed spectacle idea and they are angling to spawn an entire international league of combat robots that would face off you know in stadiums and stuff amazing spectator sport i'm i'm less inclined towards the sort of combat and and destruction angle and more to the sort of you know pushing your body to the limits and and high performance pursuit of mastery angle so yeah more sort of an olympic theme where you have but you know Technologically integrated Olympics, and there is there's the Cyber Olympics in Zurich coming up, I believe, in 2017. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I think it's actually happening this year. 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's in April 2016. Good lord. Um, yeah, like I think it's a first iteration of that. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting, isn't it? What they're trying to do over there. And, and in Dubai, they have the Future Sports
0: League, or I, can't, I think that's the name of it. Uh, I've seen a few promo videos for it, and that's like drone racing and you know, it's more sort of technologically oriented virtual experiences as opposed to the sort of cybernetic human augmented thing. Uh, I mean, the Cyber Olympics are aimed at incubating, pushing, and lending excitement and funding to rehabilitative technologies, whereas the this thing in Dubai is really just a, a sort of an exhibition and a spectator sport. Yeah. So, I mean, prosthesis kind of sits in between those things yeah. and could easily be integrated with any of those. It's
1: like alt sports. So, I know some of the people behind the drone racing league here. Alex and, and those guys and, and it's super interesting and these things go 170 kilometers an hour and they don't hover what? this is these, these, these aren't normal drones yeah and there's some crazy stuff so suddenly we're, we're going to be living in this world where you know the alternative sports esports is already like tens tens maybe hundreds of thousands of kids and and adults as well um, watch people play League of Legends and all these other games. I mean, this is it's changing what we see as sports, as humans. But, but why not? I mean, here we've got a world that's changing with technology, a new, a new pastime of, of playing games. There's millionaires that are created from esports, and there are people that are pioneering drones. There's people like you and the Utah Foundation that are pioneering brand-new technologies that eventually will seep into accessibility on a wider spectrum but from a sports sports league perspective and I find that ought to be really fascinating so prosthesis the dream when you were a child, you know, that mastery, becoming an engineer, coming through, making it happen, getting the funding, uh, it's all very exciting. I'm just wondering, you know, what are the two or three things that you've learned through this experience that you could pass on to other budding engineers, or even other professional engineers that are maybe not doing things that are as wild as this? I mean, what are the things you think you can pass along to people?
0: Well, uh, the probably the single most important thing that I've learned throughout this project or this process this long journey is the value of being true to your friends and your community and your coworkers and your peers almost all of my success ultimately comes down to the support and opportunities that I've gotten from the people who I've been try always tried to do right by at any stage whether you're on top or below that's really where all of my power comes from so be be true to your yourself your passion and be good to those around you and your dreams will come true that sounds ridiculously corny but yeah. um, it's certainly uh, I didn't get to this point by you know investing in real estate or uh, working a nine-to-five job or any of the conventional means that people usually ascribe to success tons of sacrifice uh, yeah. you know living a, a Frugal lifestyle and devoting tons of time to what I'm passionate about, missing parties, missing trips, missing opportunities to do all sorts of other stuff. So you know it doesn't come without sacrifice, but uh, pretty amazed that I've gotten to this point where I'm actually able to convert these pursuits of passion into something that might be sustainable and and sustainable to myself and my friends around me who've stuck by me, who might now have an opportunity to develop an exobionic robotic company here in Vancouver it's incredible
1: yeah dreams and qualification and drive and waking up every day surrounding yourselves with the right people but that sacrifice as well mm. is going to step things up and watching the journey as long as we've known each other for 3 years knowing that suddenly the tipping points come and, and it, it's happening and the the full build is happening it is very very exciting and and that's energy that feeds back into the project as well. Just a final word and and thank you for this interview. And I just wonder if there's a number of people you just want to shout out to in particular that have been huge, huge helps to you uh, along the way. Oh man. Well, the prosthesis team is
0: about a hundred people now. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean the core people from the inception throughout the, the early days, Lee Christie, Charlie Brinson and Alex Mossman were the, were the, The three engineers who I built the Mondo Spider with, and then Ryan Johnson and Sam Meyer were the two guys who I built the legs with. Really, that was the core group that set it all off. Uh, Rob Cunningham was an angel from day one. He invested in letting us finish the Spider and was sort of him and his dad, John Cunningham, got Edart off the ground. Mike Vanderloos is the guy who runs the uh, Capstone program at UBC, who have been a partner for six years, five, six years now. He's always been a huge proponent of our work. And of prosthesis. my girlfriend, Fiona, of
1: course. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, I'd like to say thank you very much for letting, letting me hijack you in the middle of your project. I know this, uh, th- this sort of takes you away for half an hour, but I really appreciate that. And I look forward to uh, catching up in, in about 10 months time. And let me know if if we can help with anything at all. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Nick. Always good to talk to you. Okay, thanks very much. Cheers.